Amen. Let's open up our Bibles, if you would. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. And if you missed last Sunday, let me just catch you up on where we've been. Um, last week, we began this new Advent series called Prepare Him Room. You'll remember the word Advent means arrival as we anticipate the celebration of Christmas. And here's the idea, right? We know we've now come to the busiest month of the year. And, and without fail, I feel like December sort of just has its way every year. The, the calendar takes over, the chaos ensues, we hit this warp speed pace, and before you know it, we're exhausted. And then conflict erupts at home, or maybe, uh, maybe stress sets in, and we, we just, before you know it, you just kind of want to get through to the other side, and we forget what we're doing in the first place. So here's something I think we're talking about. Here's a question we're going to ask for the next couple of weeks. What if God was calling us to something different? And this week, I want to bring you back to this familiar story of Joseph and Mary. You've heard it before. You know it. Young man finds out his girl's pregnant. He didn't do it. He decides the relationship needs to end, and he decides it's going to end quietly. And then this angel shows up and sort of wrecks Joseph's life in the best of ways and uh, what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at how Joseph intentionally makes room in Jesus' life. Okay, so that's what we're going to focus on. The familiar story, we're going to hopefully take a little bit of a different angle. But let's hear now the word of the Lord. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. So I want to get a little interactive with you this morning. I want to play a name game, okay? I want to play a little bit of a word game with you. And here's how it goes. Um, I'm going to say a name. And then I want you to whisper to someone next to you the first thing that you think of when I say that word. Okay, we're going to play the name game. I'm going to say the name. I want you to share just one word, the immediate thought that comes to mind when I say that name. Okay, you following? We're going to warm up together. Okay, you ready to play? Okay, here it goes. Here's the first name, Elvis. That's, Legacy did the same thing. I didn't see that one coming. Presley. All right, how about this one? Kennedy. I'm kind of shot, assassination. How about Einstein? Well, okay, his genius here at Legacy it was like unanimous smart. Everybody just went smart. Okay, I'm gonna throw you a curveball. You ready for this? This one's a little bit more um, timely. How about Rudolph? Reindeer, the red-nosed reindeer, right? Okay, let's talk about names for a minute. Names carry significant meaning, 
right? One of the most important responsibilities that the good Lord gave us was this ability to name stuff. Did you know that? If you turn to the book of Genesis, it's one of the first thing God gave man responsibility to do on this planet. Look at this in Genesis 2.19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was their name. And ever since that day, this is one of many things that now separates humans from everything else on this planet Earth. If you think about it, every person in this room was given some name by someone, right? And all of us in turn, at some point or another, we have all named something or someone in return. Just think about how universal that is. It's across the globe, worldwide phenomenon. As early as my kids could talk, they wanted to know, why did you give me the name you gave me? We talk about it all the time at our house. There is something earthy and meaningful and substantial about that God-given task, right? To be able to name someone is one of the most telling parts of the human story. And every name tells us something. Now keep that in mind, hold that thought, I'm gonna swing away and then we'll swing back. Okay, let's go to our text this morning. Just imagine this young man, he hasn't even gotten his shoes wet in life. He's a young buck. And we're told he's betrothed. He's been betrothed to this young woman named Mary. And remember, as was custom, a betrothal meant two young adults were now committed to be wed by law. We would actually see them as kids nowadays. Their parents often arranged this union. There was a bride pot price that was paid, a covenant that was made. And for the next year, they would now live apart in preparation for this wedding in the consummation of their marriage. The woman would remain with her parents. The man would remain celibate from her in every way. And this was now a legal reality. Just think engagement, but think more formal, right? With like way too many in-laws involved. And as we open up our text, we're told Joseph finds out Mary is somehow pregnant. Now you know the story, but just try again many times before I'm sure. Try to wrap your mind around that. You can probably guess the crisis of this revelation. In fact, the law was clear on what happens next. Do you remember? The penalty was death. Not only that, but the Mishnah, the Jewish tradition, it dictated that a man was forbidden to ever take a cheating woman back. You know, Joseph was quite literally in this place where he could have Mary put to death like that and no one would even blink an eye. But Joseph, we're told, being a just man, a gracious man, he decides that instead of putting her to shame, he would divorce her quietly. That was the plan. And all things considered, we would have to say it was quite the generous plan, right? A gracious plan. And it required two things, very quick. A bill of divorce and a witness to sign the dotted line. End of relationship, end of story, end of taboo, over. Look at how this plays out. Let's look again. But after Joseph had made up his mind, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And here comes the important part. And she will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. See, I told you I'd swing back. Well, let me just ask you, now that I've got thinking, when you hear the name Jesus, what is it that comes to mind? What do you think of now? What's the first thought that enters your head? 
See, here's why I ask that. Joseph is not only told to marry this woman, which is the, the opposite of his idea of game plan. We're now told this child is from the Holy Spirit and you're going to be the one to give him your name. And here's something maybe you've never thought of before. <clears throat> the first thing that Joseph does in preparing for this Savior to come into the world, before he even realizes the fullness of what this means, he gives him a name. See, but don't miss this. Unlike our boy back in Genesis, our boy Adam, Joseph has no say in the name at all. Did you catch that? Adam gets to pick all the names of all the creatures that the Lord had brought before him. You know, what about this one, Adam? Well, let's name that sheep. Well, how about that one? That one looks kind of like a tiger. Right, but this isn't Joseph's party at all. It's not up for debate. It's, it's not a discussion. You don't get a suggestion. This is a divine imperative, right? The messenger tells him, you will name this child Jesus because there's something significant about that name. And you don't even have to dig. You can look right up, right after this. Why do we name him Jesus? He will save his people from their sins. See, I can almost guarantee you that whatever you thought of when you just heard that name Jesus, Joseph was probably not thinking that thought at all. Because that title, that, that name, was one of the most common names to humanity at the time. Joseph would have heard that name dozens of times before this. That would have been like the name, I don't know, John or Bob or Ryan. No offense, right? But there's probably more than one of us in this room. This was not an unheard of name, Jesus in the Greek. He told him, call him Jesus. It was a shortened version of the, the Hebrew, Yehoshua, right? Joshua. It literally means the Lord, Yahweh, will save. Yasha. You see that on the screens? The Lord, Yahweh, will save. And right off the bat, that name now tells us something. It actually teaches us many things. For starters, it tells us immediately who Jesus is. And secondly, what he came to do. The Lord saves. The angel tells Joseph, change of plans. Yours aren't going to work. Do not divorce this woman. Instead, you're going to marry her as planned. And then I need you to name this child. And if Joseph decides to go through with this command, right, the action immediately brings consequences. See, first, in naming Jesus, <clears throat> that means he just adopted him as his own child. Look at this in the book of Isaiah 43.1. The Lord says to Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. And we know this, when you name someone, you adopt them, right? Culturally speaking, to name your son or your daughter has always been the discretion of the parents. It was the father's initiative at the time to name the child. Think Zachariah and John the Baptist. And in doing this, it's crystal clear. Joseph now takes full responsibility. It would be the same as to go before a judge and have the adoption papers signed in front of them. Joseph, the son of David, we're told, now by this same name, incorporates Jesus into the Davidic line. And this is why this is important, right? Because prophecy said this would happen. And Matthew wants you to see this. From chapter 1, verse 1, he says at the very beginning of his gospel, here's what this book is about. It's the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And who is Joseph? Skip to verse 20. Joseph, the angel says, son of David. 
When Joseph gives this child his name, he adopts him as his son. And in so doing, you now see God's plan unfolding before our eyes. But second, here's the other consequence, and I alluded to this. Joseph now gives him an ordinary name. Right? And I'm convinced there has to be a reason for this. Why would you give such an extraordinary child such an ordinary, run-of-the-mill name that everyone already knew? The more I've thought about this this week, it seems to me this is really the business that God's about, though, right? Like, this is what Jesus does. He's born in an ordinary manger. He takes an ordinary donkey. He has ordinary shepherds come to see him. He's born in an ordinary town. Then what does he do with his life? He breaks ordinary bread, takes the ordinary cup, dies on an ordinary cross, right? Why? In his ordinariness, in his humanity, we find the divine salvation for you and for me. Right, the book of Philippians says it like this. He made himself nothing, being made in human likeness, carried a typical name like you and I, humbled himself to the point of a cross. Name him Jesus, the angel said. And soon the entire world will know God has descended, condescended to us in the flesh. And this same God will now be our salvation. Yahweh will save. So Joseph wakes up from his sleep, wakes up from this dream, this vision, and he does exactly as the angel commanded him. He takes his wife, he knew her not, he called his name Jesus. Just notice as we stumble into this, right, how fast we find God's grace in this gospel. I love how one commentator put this. He said, you can, just one chapter in, we find the entire purpose of this child's life will be God's mercy and grace now manifest to his people. 21 verses in, there it is. And you find it in a name. You know, you might say, I was thinking about the stroll last night as we were handing out these, these hand warmers and what everyone must have thought about who Jesus is. Some there would probably say he was a great teacher and he had good things to say. Or others may say he was a good moral example to us. He's a, a good friend, a, a servant. But above all that, from the very beginning, we're told this name carries one sole purpose. And that is to save you and I from the wages of our sin. Paul Barthwork uh, from C.S. Lewis Institute, he wrote years ago about a, a time he found himself on a flight with President Ford. <clears throat> they had cleared the entire first, first class section for this, this president and his men, and Paul really wanted to meet him. But he knew that the Secret Service was standing right there in the middle of the aisle. There's no way he was going to get through. And he was thinking the entire flight, like, how do I do this? How do I, how do I get through this? And about halfway through, he remembered years before he had randomly met the president's son, Mike, at a conference. So with this sudden thought, he jumped up with this boldness. He said he got up, he walked to security, and he spoke through them like they were a window. He said, Mr. President, I want to speak with you about your son, Mike. And he said, that did it. The gates opened, the president said, let him through, and for the rest of the flight, he was sitting there talking to the most powerful man in the world about his son. Here's my thought. Let me make this super tangible. If you want to know how to best prepare him room in the craziness of this life, the busyness of this season, it begins with understanding that name. 
See, it's by that name, right? By that name alone, we've been granted access to the Father in heaven. It's by that name that we've been set free from our sin. It's by that name that we're called to make every prayer. It's by that name that you will find your Sabbath and your rest and only that name. The angel said, I want you to call him Jesus, Joseph. And I want you to see something. In preparing him room and making way for this Christ child now, Joseph takes a back seat the rest of his life, never says a word. In fact, you can scour through the rest of the New Testament. Joseph's voice is completely absent. Not one word, except, except when he called him Jesus. I want to spend the rest of our time together thinking about what that means for you and I as we sort of maybe slow the train down of Christmas for a minute. And just remember what it is that we're doing as God's people. And here's what I want us to see. Joseph gives up two very specific things in choosing that name. He gives up two things when he decides to follow through with the angel's divine command. First, he sets aside his plans. And then he sets aside his pride. First, Joseph gives up his autonomy, his sovereignty, his self-rule. And then Joseph gives away his ego, his own name, his pride. So let's just look at this first one. Let's think about how to give up our plans for his. Right, go back to Adam. From the very moment Adam and Eve take that fruit off the tree, we've all been invaded with this syndrome of sin. I'll call it the syndrome of self-sufficiency. It's a syndrome that says, I am in complete control. I am master of my own world, and I like it that way. And all of us, we've all had this syndrome innate with us. Some wear it on our sleeve. Others of us are shrewd in hiding it. But at the end of the day, this is something we all wrestle with as human beings. We want control. We crave it. We want control over our finances, so we, we hover over the stock market. We want control over our kids, so we, we hover over their coming and going. We want control over our household, so we, we squabble about the dishes and which way the toilet paper should go. We want control over our body, so we do everything, the, the inevitable, to, to fight off the inevitable of illness and death, suffering. It's not a bad thing. But just notice this. In receiving the word from the Lord and having this encounter with Christ, Joseph gives it all up. He had already made a plan, right? He had already chosen a path. And for him, this was a good plan. This was an honorable plan. It, it was more than fair. Chapter 1, verse 20 tells us he had already given it much thought. The aorist there, when you see that word consider, the aorist tense means he'd already made up his mind. See, but there's something that happens to the believer when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them. And when you have an encounter with Christ, the first thing to go is my plan. If you've ever wondered, like, man, I, where am I at in my faith? Where am I at with the Lord? I was, just ask yourself this. Whose plan am I living into these days? Galatians 2.20 says it like this. I've now been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Joseph now gives his entire life, every plan, every thought, every dream, he now submits all of it, puts it under the Father's will. And as he receives God's word, he willingly puts himself into that teaching entirely. Angel said, do not fear. You're going to marry that woman. You're going to name him Jesus. What does Joseph do? All of it. 
And it's not, I don't think it's that our, our dreams and our desires go away, right? I mean, it's possible God gave those to you that he's working himself through that. But really, if, if we were to take stock of our lives and we were to maybe slice up our lives by the hour or the day or the season, and we were to step back and analyze the pie chart, where would Jesus Christ have complete autonomy and control and authority in your life? And where, for some reason, is there still a power struggle? See, the fact is, Jesus, we, we love this part about Jesus being Savior, right? We love that part of the name. We get this picture of this baby in a manger. We, we love the idea of Jesus dying on the cross and in our place for our sins. But we forget the second part of that name and that in making him Savior, we also make him Lord. Matthew actually tells us such. Look at this in verse 23. He says, they will call his name Emmanuel. He is God with us. That means Jesus cannot just be Savior. He has to be Lord. And to prepare him room is to understand your life was bought with a divine price you couldn't pay. And therefore, everything you have, everything you are, now belongs to him. See, and the takeaway for me, the thought for me is, if you are exhausted with the holiday routine, if you're tired of the ups and downs, the emotional swings, and the, all the things that come at you, let me just offer you a different way. Truly, truly, instead of seeing this season as a season for your plans, what would happen if you stopped every day and asked God to show you his? To open up his word and in prayer, ask the Lord to reveal to you what he would have for your day. See, when Joseph calls in the name of Jesus, he sets aside his plans. And in so doing, he also sets aside his pride now, pride, that's, that's a dangerous one, right? Because pride's one no one often sees. It's the, it's the secret sin that we, we can hide, that we, we often aren't even aware of in the room. But all of us wrestle with pride. Just put yourself in Joseph's world, right? Think about how do you explain that change of heart? This is a 180. And we can assume there were others that knew about this betrothal, his, his parents, his family, his friends. How does Joseph go from, I think I'm going to let the woman go, to let's get married? Maybe you say, well, maybe he didn't tell anyone, but, but eventually the pregnancy was going to be found out, right? So how do you defend that? Just, this is conjecture, but just walk with me. The parents say to him, so you're actually going to marry this pregnant woman? And he says, yeah, I think we're going to go through with it. And they say, well, how do you figure, right? Our family name's been spat upon. This is not a woman of honor. And he says, well, I had a dream last night. This angel came to me. Yeah, and um, he told me it was the Holy Spirit's fault. And they say, what? I mean, just think of like the ridicule, the scorn, the, the judgment. Joseph gets this. He's had a divine messenger. And the parents say, they say, well, what about the child? And... You know, this is now a two-package deal. You sure you want to go through with this? He goes, whoa, yeah, um, that's where it gets real. I've already got a name. You, you got a name? I mean, you fool. How foolish. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. See, we no longer live in a day and age where it is mainstream and the respectable thing to bring your family to church on a Sunday morning. That is a fact, right? To choose to make him priority, you are gonna look odd and you are gonna look different 
And I guarantee you, you are even going to be laughed at for the stances that you take in Jesus' name. But Joseph doesn't care because by faith, none of that matters anymore. See, when he calls on the name of Jesus, two things happen. He lays down his plans and he lays down his pride. Because when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. Here's the takeaway for this week. And let me just put the sermon in a sentence. When you become a Christ follower, you are no longer living for your name. You are now living for his. Let's ask God to help us understand the reality of that fact. Will you pray with me? God, your word tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So Lord, we just want to be the first fruits of that. We, we want to be the headwaters of that. And God, we just right now confess you as Savior and Lord. God, as we call upon your name in prayer, we give you thanks that you, you would send your one and only Son to walk among us, to condescend to us, to take on an ordinary name, to take on the extraordinary shame, to take on an ordinary cross, to die an extraordinary death, Lord, that we might have life eternal. So God, we thank you. We thank you for the name of Jesus Christ. We pray would you help us to lay aside our plans? Help us to set down our pride. Lord, make us humble and meek. Lord, that we might live, not by our name, but by his. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.